I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Confold by Design, featuring an absolutely amazing creative whose zigzagged creative journey took many turns in a path that found him in the envious position in which he sits today, founder and CEO of his namesake multi-line showroom. This is Anderson Summersell. <laughs> As you might imagine, after hosting and producing this show for eight years, soon to be in our ninth, I I speak with many creatives who each have their own personal and professional journey, and you hear from them once they've arrived. I find the path fascinating, and no two paths are alike. Some are similar, but none exactly the same. Anderson Somersell is originally from the Virgin Islands. His path took what I like to call pinballing through the biz, which so many of us, myself included, seem to do on our way to where we feel we should be. Somersell has worked luxury design retail on the floor, later running departments within luxury design showrooms. Anderson gathered the experience and started his own luxury showroom featuring an impressive collection of unique brands. His methods are different than traditional showrooms, and because of this, he offers a unique showroom experience. You will learn all about it here. Thank you for listening and subscribing to Convo by Design, a podcast for the design and architecture trade, inside stories, and in-depth conversations with those shaping the industry. If you are not already doing so, please subscribe to the podcast. You will find Convo by Design everywhere you find your favorite shows, like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and designnetwork.org. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger, an incredible partner in design. The show is also supported by Thermosol, another design partner who is always looking to help designers and architects do their best work. For more information on both of these amazing partners, as well as this week's guest, you will find direct links in the show notes. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zanger a progressive brand that was built on a promise to provide designers, architects, and homeowners with the right materials to do their very best work. That promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. But it's more than that. Walker Zanger believes strongly in serving the trade with a trade program that makes the specifying process simple with the support you need. They've been staunch supporters of the trade since 1952. In 2020, I launched a series in partnership with Walker Zanger called The Showroom. This intimate interview series showcases some of the very best creatives in the business today. Please join us live or catch every episode recorded so you can enjoy it on your schedule. Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. So check out any of their showrooms across the country or shop online. WalkerZanger.com. How has the business changed for you over the last 17 months? Oh, I would say that it's been, it's been challenging um, in, in, the, in the sense of things that are produced overseas, because in this world of a pandemic that we live in, we're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I know that there's some other interesting things happening uh, with different variants, but you know, the end of the tunnel is is there, but in other countries who aren't as fortunate, it's not. They're sort of in their third wave of it. So because of that, you got, you've got delays that are just like, oh my God, what do you mean? It's going to take, you're, we're not going to see it at 
last year, just because of how their restrictions have uh, played out. So it's been a little bit um, of a nightmare. <laughs> to put it mildly. To put it mildly, it's been a little bit of a, of a nightmare because then you, you wake up never knowing, you ask the question, there's nothing like sending an email and saying, hey, I would like a status update on X. And then you like go to bed because it's overseas and they're already closing up their day. And then you wake up and you're just like, okay, let's just pray that it's just a week. <laughs> At this point, you're just like, I just want it to be delayed a week. A week I can deal with. And then you you get told that it's uh, it's going to be another 10 weeks. And you're just like, okay, okay. Because there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can it, do. Isn't, isn't perspective interesting? Yes. Because, you know, if we're talking a year and a half ago, and you're talking to a designer who's got to get something done, and you say it's going to be delayed a week, they're pissed. Yeah. You talk to a designer now and you say it's going to be delayed a week. They're thrilled. Oh, my God. It's like a celebration. It's like break out the champagne. <laughs> yeah. So I told I'm somebody curious. something was in stock the other day and I think they lost their mind. It was like a hush fell upon the land. They were like, what? I was like, it's in stock. Wait, what? What does that word mean? I know it's a foreign word these days. <laughs> I was about to say that. What does in stock mean anymore? Because it's so rarely used. Yeah. If you want to get interior designers excited, use the word. In, in, in stock is like a dirty word. You're like, oh, don't, don't speak to me that way. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. How has that changed the business side of it for you? Because, it, you know, I, I hate to keep saying, well, it used to be. Well, it used to be. But to think about it in terms of, when you would say to a client or designer, it is in stock, that would mean, oh, you've got time. That would mean, oh yeah, don't sweat it. It just means you, you have the luxury now of being able to decide whether or not you want to specify it. Now you say it's in stock. That means you have to order it right now because there's no guarantee that it's going to be quote unquote in stock in an hour from now. Oh, Absolutely. The minute that I write somebody and I send someone a quote and I say that it's in stock, like the net, everything we do is digital. And then like within the next five, within five minutes, I just see, I get an alert from our system saying so-and-so paid for their order. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, there you go. I actually had that the other day. I would like, I sent somebody something and I go, it wasn't in stock, but it was a shorter lead time than, 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 than we predicted. Because when it came back, I couldn't believe it. I had to ask twice. And I said to her, I said, okay, listen, it's, we can get it done by in seven weeks. This was seven weeks. And the max, seven weeks, the max, not the minimum, the max. And I sent that, I go, okay, she's going to go talk to her client. And then, you know, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be a few days. So I was like, getting dressed to go for another meeting and I just get, I hear a ding and I'm like, she did not pay for that. She, <laughs> and sure enough, she did. So yeah, it, it's, it, it's accelerated people's decision, decision-making process. So what is your best advice for designers, be it the, the products that you're procuring or selling rather, or that they're procuring elsewhere as it relates to first and foremost specifying their design and then of course the dreaded uh reselects 
Uh, before you, when you're scheming, before you get in, fall in love with the scheming process of whatever it is you're selecting, call your showroom or your representative and find out if it's available. Because and I think what happens and what, has, what was happening were designers were creating these beautiful schemes, presenting it to their clients, they get, they, they get the sign off, and then you call your showroom only to hear that it's no longer available or it's not in stock or it's gonna be 14 weeks. And, and you have to, you, then you go through the tailspin of having to reselect and having to tell your client. That's what I feel the pain for is like going back and telling your client who's fallen in love with it, especially if they're indecisive, that, um, that you have to reselect this, this thing because then it's no longer available. So I would say do your due diligence before you fall in love with your schemes and present your schemes. Speaking of falling in love with the business, Let's go, let's get in the way, way back machine. Tell me, tell me your story, Anderson. Tell me, tell me the why, t tell me the how. <laughs> well, back in 1987, no, <laughs> um, I fell in love with the home decor world uh, back when, back in my pure one days, this was like almost a decade ago. The why, the why of making the shift, I was in radio and television before that. And the why for making the shift was simply because I like a more consistent job, consistent gig than television and radio offers. And especially in television, you're always, when you're on a gig, you're thinking about your next gig and you really can't immerse yourself in that experience. So that's why I made the switch to home. And um, 10 years ago, I did that. I walked into a pair one imports after having a meeting with one of their marketing teams. And uh, literally, because I've always loved home, I literally cried about it, really. I think my, my boss at the time thought I was an idiot or a fool. <laughs> He's like, why is this fool crying? Because then it was intimate to me, because you know, um, because in, as, a young, as a young boy, we moved around a lot. So, you know, I know what it means to feel at home and I know what that means to people and I know how intimate and how personal and how sacred it is to people. So I was honored to be stepping into this business. And um, yeah, and then so that led to working, making me think that I want to be an interior designer. I do not. <laughs> if there's anything I know for sure is that I do not want to be an interior designer. Uh, I hold them in such great regard, you know, the, the work that interior designers have to do, the, the, it's, it's a lot, it's more than just making a room look pretty. But I knew that I like helping them procure things. That I had great joy doing in, you know, whether it was picking a lamp or picking something or mirror or something from Pier 1. And then when I moved on to our house furniture, it was, I, I got a taste of what it would be like to be an interior designer. That's how I know I don't wanna do that. Uh, but I really had great joy in like helping them source the fabric for a, a particular piece, helping them find a lighting piece, helping, that brought me the greatest joy. And then I worked for a design firm because I'm a curious little boy and I always wanted to know the why or the reason behind anything. I wanted to get a better understanding on how interior designers work so I could so I could better assist them. So I was a design coordinator for a few years in Philadelphia for a design firm there, 
Um, and I really got to know the ins and outs of what really happens from selecting, from meeting the client to selecting to all of those things. Um, and then when I made the move to New York City, I got a job at Holland and Sherry, which was interesting because I had no idea who Holland and Sherry was. <laughs> you know, you're just applying for it. Like, you know, you do that thing back in the day, you like go to like careerbuilder.com or in like I actually found it on editor at large before it became business of home. And I just saw this posting. I sent it, it was for customer service for wallpaper division. I sent in my resume and not knowing, not having a clue what powerhouse I was walking into. <laughs> and there I go in my little cute cardigan at the time. And I'm like, you know, talking, talking. And then I said to a friend who was very, who was very much so in design, I go, oh, I just had a meeting at, uh, I had an interview at Holland and Sherry. And that's when I understood the significance of it. They go, wait, what? I was like, uh, is that a good thing? Bad thing? <laughs> and then I just thought that I wasn't going to get it. And um, I got it. And then I just fell in love. I fell in love. I was in the right spot. My personality had aligned with my purpose in this world. And uh, it was great. I got to work on, I got to work on getting designers, their products where they needed to be. I got to work on collections for the wallpaper department. And then it just grew from there because Holland and Sherry represents other brands. And I got to be the purchasing coordinator for all those brands. I just got to be the guy to interact with these brands and help keep everything organized, uh, introduce their new collections, all of that. And then that just, the love of that led me to uh, my position at John Roselli because I got to do that even more on a more intimate level with the brands. And, um, you know, started to see that there were things that needed to be changed. And I felt that the system wasn't, the way that things were being done wasn't aligning with the way interior designers shop today. And I would have meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting, my bosses telling them, hey guys, I'm thinking we should start making a shift because and I don't think designers are working the way that they used to um, in the sense of having to call the showroom to get the price to see if it's in stock, all of this stuff. I was like, this, this information should be uh, at their fingertips so they don't have to always go through all these hoops to get the information that they needed. And then I just decided at, uh, you know, that, I keep talking about it and I, it keeps getting put on hold. And I realized clear as day that I wouldn't be able to, to do anything unless my name was on a door. So I decided I'm going to put my name on a door, digital door at the moment, but, <laughs> but, and that's what it was. And it really all stemmed from my love of home decor and my as I did that, my further love for interior designers and what they do, and how can I be of service to them to make their life a little bit easier? And, and that's how I got here. So backing up a little bit more, so it's we have we have some similarities in our in our background. So radio and TV, were you in front of the camera? What were you doing? I was for radio. I was a, I started as a little intern for a rock station in West Palm Beach, little gay black boy on a rock station. Uh, I, I thought it was the most hilarious thing, but I was, I later then became a part of the morning show. I was like a side character for the morning show. Um, I got to work 
our studio was actually right next to Michelle Visage at the time. She was at a easy listening station. <laughs> she was on the easy listening station. I was on the rock station. Um, and then for, for television, I was always behind the camera. I was a product, I was a product placement director for, uh, for a number of independent films. So I was the guy again, procuring things for, um, to be in the film. Like if somebody was like, oh, he's drinking orange juice. I'd be like, oh, who could be the person to sponsor the orange juice? I am telling you something. That is a great bit. You and I have a very similar background. I, I came from broadcast as well. I came from the radio side of things. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And what so station, it's- What station were you? I was in Dallas. I was the director of motorsports for CBS radio. I worked, uh, and then pri prior to that, I when I first- CBS radio boy too. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was, so it was a station called Live 105.3. And um, it was Howard Stern in the morning and wow. talk, talk the rest of the day and NASCAR on the weekends in, in Dallas, Texas. What could possibly go wrong? I mean, that's, wow. that's like a, it's made for, but the passion for design was always there and I knew what yeah. I loved to do. And so when I had the chance to jump and start doing this, like you, so I get it. I completely understand that drive and that, that, that emotional connection to what you do. My, my question for you next is, how did you, how did you winnow it down and decide like this, this idea of a modern showroom and what it means to curate and what it means? Because now, you know, working with somebody else's name on the door is one thing. You're kind of beholden to their policy and their whims and will and what they want to do and their vision for the business. When you put your name on your shingle, mm. then all of the responsibility falls on you. Like, are my decisions right? If you're working for someone else, it's like, oh, that's a stupid decision, but it's their stupid decision, <laughs> right? Yeah. When, you do, when you do it yourself, now it's yours. And the, the items you're curating, the things you're putting together, the lines you're backing, the, all of the things you're showing are you. So, and then there's the idea of the customer service behind the showroom. And then there's the idea about the presentation. So you have your B2B, you have your B2C, you have what the website looks like. Can you deliver? And then eventually, you know, do you, I'm getting way ahead of you here from your, from <laughs> I'm, I'm writing your next business plan. Do you want to go into brick and mortar, you know, when it makes sense to do so? Where's the vision for the showroom? What was, what were the drivers behind it? The driver behind the showroom was truly the ethos of it is how do we make designers' lives easier? So that is before we do anything. That is the beat that run. That is the beat that runs through the whole entire company, because then that is who we are here to serve. When you're when you're creating a business, you have to know who am I here to serve? What does this business serve? And I spent a great deal of time understanding who are who my my clients were um and understanding that the i'm i'm of the generation i'm in my my 30s so i understood that my generation is the generation that will be sitting at the helm of companies and what did we grow up with we grew up with the tech the tech era the digital everything we can listen if we want something at the last second we could just get it on amazon so we, we just, I understood that that was going to come in to play. And then that's what people were going to, I could see it with the interns that started at design firms. They were confused on why they couldn't get something 
like that. Uh, so that's the driving force for me. And that's the thing that keeps me grounded with this company. We're always thinking about how do we make it easier? And then we extend that to the brands that we partner with. For me, working in showrooms, I've always felt like each showroom should have its own sort of vision. But we're just, in that sense, we're just the backdrop. You know, all of our partners who create the beautiful things that we have in our showrooms and that we offer are the stars in that sense. So I just wanted to provide a very clean slate. <laughs> it's very simple. Uh, and let the, let the brands that we represent speak for themselves. But I also wanted it, I also understood how, because I understand how designers work, you know, I wanted everything to sort of relate to each other. I, you know, we, we've got 20 brands that we represent and I handpicked each of them. And, and the hand, for the textiles, the handpicking process of the textiles was, I saw it on Instagram. So I knew right off the bat that they could really convey the message of their products through photography. That was important to me because and that is, we all start. We all start sourcing somewhat online or whatever creative outlet that we have. It's usually Instagram. So um, you know, I wanted to make sure that people were investing in that because I had worked with brands who weren't. So I knew that I wanted that because that was the wave of the future. Then I then I spoke to them. Then I had to touch the samples to see the quality of the goods because and I'm not going to put my name behind something that I haven't touched, felt, or experienced in some way. Um, and I, I empower anybody listening who's thinking about starting their own business to do the exact same. And then it came down to how does everybody work with each other? Can I grab a Malabar fabric and pull a Caroline Cecil, pull a, a, a KK Harris, and it all be able to tell a story. Can a designer do that? Can a designer in within the Summer Cell family of products, can they complete a room? And that was important for us because then that's how we're gonna make money. <laughs> so it was, it was all of that. I try my best to not impart too much of my personal aesthetic um, to, to things because in, I'm a beige boy. I like, I think beige gets a bad rap in the design world, by the way. Uh, let's just, I can go off on that tangent. <laughs> but I like things very, I like, I like beige. So I knew that I can't really impart my, my vision because everything would be beige and boring. <laughs> uh, so what I knew, what I impart in the company is quality. Is like every, does everything that we have, is it quality? Is it, is it, you know, would they feel proud showing it to their client, the designer? And, and then that was pretty much, and that's pretty much how we, we beat. And it's, you know, it's, that's how we all gel. And it was just, it's hard work because you have to look at, you know, when, you, when you're talking about 20 brands, which a majority of them are, are fabric, that's, and there, there's thousands of SKUs. <laughs> You should have saw my apartment during the process. It was like things everywhere. And I was just like really being, making sure that we could tell the story. And also what, what I did differently was I, I didn't invest in just the brands, the brands that we represent. I didn't just invest in the fabric part. I invested in the brand from an artistic standpoint, because in what I knew for sure was that I wanted brands that created their patterns 
from art. You know, I didn't, I wasn't interested in anyone that was like, oh, I'm gonna, I, I took this documented print from somewhere and I made the scale bigger and I recolored it. And I was like, there's a lot of that out there. And, you know, there's no shade to that. I think that that is its own art form. What I really wanted was people who sat down at a blank canvas and painted or, you know, manipulated something to create their own, create their own pattern. So we have a, we have a family of products that have everybody like that. So, and that was it. And that's what I use to sort of build what we've built. A couple of thoughts. It's, it's really funny. Um, you had mentioned your ideas on beige and <clears throat> I would, I would not traditionally share those ideas. However, it's, it's all in the hand of the creator. Yes. And wild. yeah. And I saw um, not too long ago, a monochromatic beige room put together by Jake Arnold. And it, it just made me stop for a second and just look at it. And I had to keep looking, you know, when you see things that don't look like they're supposed to go together, yeah, but they do. And you're, I find myself sometimes looking, maybe it's just the, the journalist side of me, but I find myself looking to find the, the, the crack, to find what doesn't work because I want to break it down, figure out why, and then reimagine it. I was looking for, and I couldn't find it. It was just like, I don't understand it. I just know that I like it. And so to your point, I, I completely get that because if you say the word beige, you get the eye rolls and the head kick and that, I mean the whole, right? right? Yes. I'm like, yeah. what's wrong with beige, y'all? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so do you have, so I just sort of want to spin this off into the, into the next idea, because I think one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you, um, and I really do appreciate the time, is because the brands that you've curated on the site that you've curated them, you've, you've crafted a, a, a digital showroom. Mm-hmm. which is amazing, but it's only as amazing as it can be if you can get people, the right people to see it because mm-hmm. that's how the sales channel works. So once you craft this showroom, then how do you, how do you, how do you start the sales channel working? Do you have a, sales team that's out working directly with designers? Do you do a digital, is it a digital play where you get people coming to you? How does the sales channel work for you? Well, I I learned in this process that I I always used to say that I don't have many talents, but, (laughs) um, uh, and I believe that, but I found my, my good talent is creating a big noise about something. I've got a big mouth so I can get a lot of attention. So we were able to do, we were able to partner with some great uh, outlets, uh, media outlets to get the word out of Summercell, about Summercell. And it was during the midst of the pandemic. So we, you know, no, people were still kind of comfortable, but still hesitant about going into spaces. So we knew we had to reach them uh, in a particular way. So we did a lot of digital outreach, obviously. And then now as things are beginning to open up, we do, we do a lot of in-person presentations uh, and which 
we've approached that a little differently too, because in I Empower, we now have a, a small team we've grown. We've got a rep who solely focuses on New Jersey. And then we've got a rep that's joining us that, that will solely focus on Connecticut. And then um, we're looking at somebody in uh, Pennsylvania to, to take care of that territory. And I handle New York because I live here. <laughs> and uh, so we do a lot of, we do, I think the, the great part of getting people to go to Somerset, which is an experience, which people are just learning to navigate the uh, site because then we still get some designers that go to the site and then Sends us, send us a link of all the things that they like. And we're just like, you know, if you sign up, you get instant access to request samples and all that. And they're, and they're like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, it's, it's out there, but that we, we, you could do that. Um, so we, we get people who work in all kinds of different ways. Um, but one of the things that we are focused on is getting out in offices and showing people truly what it is that they want to see. So with us, because all of our offerings are in one, are all on one platform, summersell.com, is people go on and then they schedule an appointment with us, but then they, t they get to tell us what they really want to see. So they would say, you know what? I looked at all of your brands and at this point, we get the same sentiment. Everybody's like, oh, my God, these are so well curated. And I thank everybody for, for that note. Um, and then they just say, I gravitate towards this brand, that brand, that brand, that brand. So now when we go to people's offices, it's an efficient visit. You know, I'm not showing them things that they aren't ever going to use. Like, I'm not showing up to your office if you never use print. And I'm not going to be showing you a whole bunch of prints if you never... Every designer out there is very pleasant, and then they will sit through the presentation. But I see y'all. <laughs> I see your faces. <laughs> you're like, I'm never going to use that. I don't know why that. Why would I see that? But you know. But now I think we could really, because we've made it easy for them to see all the people that we represent, we can really get in there and, and do some work. Because now when I go on, uh, I think I'm nosy. Just because uh, I'm just nosy. Uh, so when we go to, uh, when I go to offices, it's like, I'm in all kinds of projects. I'm like, oh, and what are you working on? It's like, oh, Anderson, come over here. I got to show you this Hamptons project. And then it's like supposed to be an hour, but then it's like two hours. So my team is telling me I should probably stop going on appointments. Because <laughs> I take too or long. Or not, or not. Because <laughs> I take too long, but we, we just, but because we bring exactly what the designer wants, they get to really, they get that element of touching and feeling it and, and all of that stuff too. And um, you really just get to get about designing and that's really what we're here to do. So do you have an exclusive, do you have an exclusive with the brands you show? Yes. Okay. It's funny to me to see that wry, sly smile on your face, that, that <laughs> Cheshire cat, Kind of, uh, 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 yes. And then that smile, because I recognize that smile. That is, that is a, that is the smile of somebody who knows why I'm asking the question mm -hmm. and you've addressed it because look, I mean, 
I have seen other, you know, you know where I'm going with this. I've seen other plans out there. It was like, I can sell anything. And then you wind up having multiple designers having a conversation about the same brand with multiple people who have, who come from different perspectives. And it's, it's a disservice at some point. So I'm, I, I would love to know your, what's the pitch? What's the, what's the conversation? And especially when you get around to something as uncomfortable as the exclusive? I think, uh, so in, in the industry, it's sort of standard for a showroom to have exclusivity in, in a particular market. Um, you know, in our future, all brands before they signed with us got a pitch book, um, a digital pitch book that showed and laid out Summer Cell's current plan and what I like to call our master plan. Um, and we all felt, all the brands that have signed with us, all felt like, hmm, that's interesting because then that is something that will be happening and I can see happening, um, all in the effort of making the designer's life easier. But when it comes to the current plan, the, the one that's the digestible one that we will start with, it was just asking, listen, I come from radio and television. I'm just going to ask you what I need to ask you. I, like, there's no time for me to beat around the bush here. Like, so I would say, listen, if you're going to sign with us, it's exclusivity. It's in, it's in the tri-state. And I threw Philadelphia in there. They were like, you want Philadelphia too? I'd be like, well, what you going to do? Who, who do you know in Philadelphia? <laughs> Tell me, please. I'll wait. Um, and they're like, you know what? You're right. Uh, let's go ahead and throw Philadelphia in there as well. Because I really do feel like there's a great, there's a great uh, expansion in the Philadelphia um, design market. Somebody, I was in a conversation with somebody and they go, I feel like Philadelphia designers are becoming more sophisticated. And I was like, my word, no, they've always been sophisticated. It's just nobody here in New York shows them any love. So, <laughs> you know, they got to come all the way up here to like go to the design center and blah, blah. They've got their own design center, but, you know, we've got all the good brands. So we make a we make a conscious effort of reaching out to designers in, in Philadelphia, which is why we're looking for a rep there. But once we explain that to all of the designers, all of the brands that we represent, they were on board and it was not quite an uncomfortable conversation. And, and some people, if they did have sort of like an uneased feeling about the exclusivity, I was, then it wasn't a, it wasn't a fit. You know, you've, you've got to, you don't want to start a relationship with, with somebody that you feel, hmm, I don't know. Ooh. Otherwise that just becomes more and more and more loud. It, life speaks to you in a whisper. So you've got to listen to the whisper. Some whispers I should have listened to. <laughs> I'll address those later at the end of the year. But, um, but for the most part, every brand that we have is just, they, they were just like, yes, 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 let's do this. And not only that, we kind of do have a loose uh, uh, agreement with some of our brands that we rep them nationally, which has been a great, to a great benefit with designers. Because listen, we put a lot of work into our Instagram. We put a lot of work into marketing and, 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 and whatnot and reach and casting a wide enough net to designers. And, you know, there's nothing like somebody falling in love with your, with a brand. And then you've got to be like, Oh, well, I'm so sorry. You're a Texas based designer. So you've got to go to this showroom. 
and it happens, it's happening more and more frequently. And designers will be like, well, I don't know who my, who is, who? I got to go to who? I don't know that person. I only know it because I know you, I follow you and I have a connection with you. And, you know, so it's just, it's a disservice, I feel, you know. It, it's it's funny you say that because it's absolutely true. You know, from a, it's it's really interesting. If they were to draw a map of the United States, from the design perspective, mm-hmm. you would have LA, yes, San Francisco, yes, Dallas, Houston, mm-hmm. Atlanta, Miami, DC, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> New York, um, and New Jersey would not be there. You would have, you know, my friend Gail Davis who's in New Jersey would probably- Love Gail would, Davis. Me too. And Gail would probably agree with me. She would, be, she would say, you know, you're, you're right. They don't think of us, but I'm making sure that to change their minds. And she is. Um, but then you go from New York to, to Boston. Mm-hmm. And then you skedaddle on over to Aspen. And <laughs> you, you, get a, you get a few resort towns in Colorado. Yeah. And and then you you get like one or two people that spend way more money than some small municipalities in like Utah and Wyoming. Yeah. But that would be the extent. Everything else is a design flyover state in the U.S. Yeah. And it's wrong. It's patently wrong. Listen, this is what I fundamentally believe. If you're going to be in the business of servicing interior designers, you should be in the business of servicing interior designers where every interior designer, every buddy, whether they buy two yards of fabric or they're, co- they're decking out a whole home. I've always had that feeling. I don't like this sort of like, oh, that's a state that doesn't matter. They don't do any design work. I'm like, yeah, design is everywhere. Everybody, especially now what has happened in the world, everybody's feeling there's going to be a level of trauma that we all walk away from, from this experience of a global pandemic. And we are all going to, everybody in this time have now fully understood how sacred their homes are and they are spending money on their sacred spaces. That's why interior designers have seen an increase in business. And that's why some people who were thinking about being interior designers have become interior designers and have gotten clients. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And by the way, really interesting to note as well, to your point, that you know, the I believe we're we're on the precipice. We're in the middle of it right now of this huge boom in new designers. And the last oh, yeah. time, the last time I feel like this happened was oh eight oh nine, mm-hmm. coming out of the recession. It was massive, yep. and I think I think that you know there was one in. Um, 83 and 87. And, uh, you know, every time there's this massive disruption, um, you, you have people that flock to certain things and, and design is one of those. And what happens is you get a lot of d- new designers, 80% of the newbies wash out because they're not prepared to do the work. And yes. what you're left with is that remaining 20% of that 20%, 33%, a third thrive a third don't thrive, but they'll get two or three projects and a refresh every year and they'll hang on. And then you'll have the middle third 
of of that twenty percent are are designers that you know that that those are the shades of gray. Those are the ones that are, have various levels of success, but not like the the top third. That is what I've noticed. Now, here's my question for you. So that being said, you have exclusivity in the tri-state area mm-hmm. plus Philadelphia, plus and plus Philly, and now let's say because your your website is gorgeous and you're doing you're doing the work and you're getting the name out there so now you get texas designers like you mentioned who are reaching out to you now how do you how do you work within that environment where maybe some of the brands that you show have a relationship already in you know dallas or houston i mean Say you get a designer from Amarillo. I think there's three of them there. But you know, let's say you get a, a designer from there. How how do you expand with without treading over other protected relationships that the brands deem valuable? I keep it real. My 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 thing is, listen. I would always say if, if we get a if we get a designer from Texas, first of all. When you sign up on Somersell, it there right on our registration page, it tells you what the territories are. Some designers don't care. <laughs> Some designers are like, I don't care about that. I like you. Uh, so so you know, we that's our first way of saying that. And then I would when I get to see almost every um, sample request that comes in. So when the sample request comes in, and it is a Texas designer, when it's being pulled, the warehouse would say to me, oh, you know, there's a, there's a Texas designer, put your eyes on this. And I would then reach out to the brand and I would say, who do you have in, <laughs> I first always go, who do you have in Texas? And it'll tell me, and I'd be like, do you know this designer? And then they would say yes or no, it's an honest, it's honesty. And then I would be like, well, here's what's going down. Here's what's shaking out. I sent them samples. And, you know, so let your, let your rep know. <laughs> and then usually this is, I kid you not, and it's shocking to me that this happens. The designer will come back and want to place an order. And I would say, oh, we told so-and-so that you're, you're that, you know, this is your rep and so-and-so. And they would be like, I don't know that person. And I'd be like, okay, <laughs> I don't know that person. I don't want to work with that person. And I was like, well, you've got to, you've got to talk to the brand or we'll loop the brand in. And then, you know, then a decision is made, uh, you know, and it, it's, the, that's just the fact. It's like, how did the client hear about my brand? And they heard about it through Somersault. So I would sometimes split the commission. Sometimes. Uh, <laughs> with this total unwillingness on your face like, because then, and I think now my brands know not to come to me with that because then I'm like well we've done the work advertising is, is expensive I would just let everybody know that right now this is like no joke no nothing and yeah we don't have a physical space and I think I've run into some issues where people were like well you could do that because you don't have a physical space I understand that but the cost that I would spend in a, a, dig, a physical space I spend in advertising so advertising is our space technically because we're we're digital so it costs us money so i you know if you spent money and you got a client and you you don't want to split that and i think that that is a gray area and it's a discussion that will start to be had in 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 the markets you know and 
listen, I feel, and I might be arrogant in, in thinking this way, but I've always felt if you're in sales and your clients don't know who you are, then you're not doing a good job as a salesperson. That's period. And listen, I say that, and I've got the, I've got the things to back it up. In my career this far, people will walk into, this is retail, will walk into a retail showroom and then they will ask for me. And if I'm not there, they will be like, everybody, all my colleagues would be like, oh, I could help you. And they'd be like, mm -mm, I'll get Anderson. And then they'll either text me or email me or whatever. And I feel like that's because I did a good job. I've connected with my client. And I think that is what, I'm not in a client grab. I'm not trying to grab as many clients as possible. I want to really service the clients that I have. And we do that. And because I do that, I'm entitled to this. <laughs> this is how I feel. And it's, it's, just, it's, just an, it's just an area that, you know, everybody needs to be mature about it and, and have a conversation about it. So in your mind, as you look at what's next, expansion is always on the horizon. Yes. In, in your mind, is the expansion more brands in your current territory, the Tri-State area, plus Philly, or, <laughs> is, or is the expansion more br the brands you have in additional territories? It's definitely additional territories. Like Summercell is not interested in being a Tri-State only showroom. Um, and all of our brands that are privileged to our pitch, our pitch book, understand that and know that. And that's why they signed with us. And, you know, it's just because here's, this is, this is what I believe to be true at the moment. When you look at a, if you look at a well-seasoned designer, somebody that's been in the game for a minute and you look at their, you go to their website, they would say servicing based in, so servicing this county, that county, whatever, whatever right? You go to a new designer, somebody who just came on the scene and has a few clients, you go to their website, they ain't saying that they just servicing here and there. They're servicing globally. This is what, and I, I find it shocking that people just can't, won't wrap their heads around this. The world has shrunk due to digital. So whereas that made sense 30 years ago, that is not the case today. We are in a global pandemic because the world has shrunk. When this whole thing was happening, we were all like, oh, that's happening in China. That's never going to come here. Hello. It's easier to travel. It costs less to travel now. And so the world is just smaller. So everybody who's coming into this, looking at this industry as a true business for themselves, I feel are looking at it on a bigger scale. And, they, and because of that, they want to work with one particular person that can service them. And I get that. I, I think, you know, the only difference that I see in that is when you talk about the world shrinking, I, I think, I feel like there has been this ebb and flow. I feel like, um, you know, in the designers that I've spoken to over the last 15, 16, 17 months, I have heard from every single one of them, the, you know, what I am looking at now is expanding my business. I want to be able to do more remote and virtual, but virtual in the sense that my clients from LA, New York, San Francisco are moving to Nashville, Memphis, Austin, Denver. I don't want to lose them, but I don't want to travel there either. So using, <laughs> using all of these tools at our disposal now, I feel like the business is expanding in ways that we haven't seen it Absolutely. work before. And this is what's going to happen. This business is designer for designers, you know, 
a majority of their businesses were them out. Now, if your client's moving, if you're in LA and you work with your client in LA and they move to Tennessee, well, they're going to talk about you in Tennessee. And then now you've got a whole group of clients in Tennessee. That's just how this business is. And just think about it now. Just think about if you're in LA and you're working on a project in Tennessee, do you want to go to it? And you, like, do you use the Tennessee showroom? Can I purchase this? Because my, pro- like, I just, it, it, you know, we've got designers who are ordering from us and they're shipping things to all over the, all over the country and internationally. Yeah. And internationally. So I just think it's just being able to, as running a business, is being able to move with the flow. And that's what I'm trying to do. I Listen, I could not possibly agree with you more, which is why I wanted to talk to you and which is why I so appreciate the time. Anderson, this was amazing. For those who are listening, um, yes, you can go to summersell.com or... Or you can also uh, check the show notes. There will be a link there too. Anderson, thank you so much for the time today, man. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Anderson. Love your story. I really do appreciate you sharing it. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for presenting Convo by Design. Thank you, Thermosol, for your partnership. You are both remarkable partners and amazing allies for the design trade. And thank you for listening. Remember why you do what you do, and that the business of design is all about making better the lives of those we serve. Until next week, be well, and take today first. Mm